0: Well, please turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, as we've been journeying through this great letter, and uh, in light of the children's message, um, it, it fits with the theme of our spiritual parents and what that looks like. So I'm going to read this first section, and then we'll read a second section later on, the, later on in the sermon. So 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, I'll read through Verse 10. Everyone who makes the practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous." Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word, of the, God, uh, the word of the Lord stands forever. As I mentioned a minute ago to the kids, I, I grew up watching my parents and listening to what they said and observing what they did. And, and one thing that I grew to appreciate was I grew up in a radio family, and so we would listen to all kinds of music growing up and we would go to concerts. And, and there's a particular genre of music that I've grown to appreciate And it's country. I actually like country music. Now, there are some musicians and songs that I would not recommend today, but there are still positive songs and musicians that have a a good message. And a good country song has a really good story to tell. And as I was thinking about good country music this week, I thought about Rodney Atkins' song that's titled Watching You. And this is how the song goes. Rodney Atkins, he, he sang about driving in a truck and his toddler son is sitting in the back and he was eating a Big Mac or a, a, a kid's meal, happy meal. And all of a sudden, next thing he knows, uh, the, the, the light turned from green to red immediately and he slammed on his brakes and he murmured a few words uh, under his breath, not thinking his son heard those few choice words. And a few minutes go by and all of a sudden, his son says these words and he says, son, He said, son, where did you learn to talk like that? And he said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I wanna be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, dad? I wanna do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Ronnie Adkins goes on and the song sings, we got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard and I said, Lord, Please help my silly self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo light, he crawled out of bed and got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, he folded his little hands and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And he said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? And the son went on to say, dad, I've been watching you. I wanna do everything you do as I've been watching you. What a great song, a great story of a, of a son watching his dad's every mood or every move and, and listening to his every word. As a parent, that really spoke to me and it's very humbling to think about that. I was reminded as we were locked up in our home for this week of things that I did three years ago or said that three years ago that I didn't remember saying and I thought, oh, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> and I had to tell my kids, I'm sorry I said that or I shouldn't have said that, don't say that. Um, but I also have seen things in my kids that I've learned to appreciate. You know, this week we, we came and, and shoveled the, the sidewalks and I taught Caleb how to do it and, and I said, Caleb, let's try to have a good attitude here and He did. For a whole hour and a half, he was out there shoveling the sidewalks with a good attitude. I said, well, that's great. And so there are rewarding days as a parent and there are also hard days as a parent and very humbling when you know uh, where you have messed up. Well, our passage today, John is not necessarily talking about our biological parents here. He's not. He's talking about our spiritual parent. And if we are indeed children of God, then there's things that, reveal to a watching world of of why we are children of God, and that is if we seek to do right and if we love others. If we are children of Satan, then the opposite is true, and that is we will seek to sin and we will hate others. This first section that John wrote about in verses 4 through 10, it deals with how believers seek to be righteous and nonbelievers seek to sin, That's where he mentions here in verse four, he gives this contrast and he begins by talking about non-believers. And he said, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. In verse eight, he went on to say, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. What John is saying here is he's writing about non-believers who make it a practice to continue to sin. He's not referring to Christians who struggle with sin. He's referring to non-believers who make it a point to sin. They make it a practice of sin. And when they make it a practice, it means that they do so consistently. They they do so habitually. They do so because they are of their father, the devil. And the devil represents billions of people around the world who are non-Christians and they continue to sin. Sin is lawlessness, this text tells us. You know what lawlessness is? It means that you have no regard for the law of God. What that tells me is non-believers, they don't care about what God wants. They have no regard for who God is and and what he desires them to do and to be. In John chapter 8, John wrote many years before this letter, the gospel of John. In John 8, he's referring to an example of when Jesus was having a a dialogue with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees claimed that they were sons of Abraham. And because they were sons of Abraham, they, they were automatically Christians or believers of the Lord. And Jesus said, just because you have come from a spiritual heritage of Abraham, it doesn't mean that you are indeed a Christian. In fact, you know what Jesus said to these Pharisees? He said in verse 44 of chapter eight, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. What Jesus was saying to these Pharisees was, just because you came from a family of believers doesn't mean that you are automatically a believer. Just because you were raised in a spiritual home doesn't mean that you are spiritual. He's saying, in fact, the opposite is true of you in that you are of the devil, and he is the great accuser. He is the father of lies. And you know that, because Jesus knew that because they were practicing sin. They were continuing to live a lifestyle of sin with no remorse, no regret, no shame, no guilt. You know a non-believer from a believer in that a non-believer loves their sin and they have no guilt over their sin and they don't care when they hurt people. They only care about themselves. That's who John was talking about. That's who a non-believer is and that's what a non-believer does. But notice verse five. John shifts gears and he says, you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. There's a big reason why Jesus came to this earth. Do you know why he came? He came to take away our sins. And the only way he could do that was he had to be perfect and he had to come and die on a cross so that God the Father would forgive us of our sins. First Peter two reminds us that Jesus committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. Second Corinthians five tells us that for our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this passage because what it's saying is is that Jesus came to this earth, he appeared to this earth to take away our sins and not only did he place our sins on a cross, he put his righteousness on us so that we can be righteous, so that we can begin to love God and do what he commands because He abides in us, he remains in us, he's with us, he's made us righteous. And so as John went on to say in verse six and seven, he said, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What John was saying here is that if you are indeed a child of God, then you will desire to follow Jesus. Not always, again, John is not saying we're going to reach perfection. He's saying, as a believer, you're not going to intentionally practice sin all the time. There will be moments in your Christian journey where you will have small victories over sin. You won't have complete victory over sin until Jesus comes, but there will be moments where you'll have victory. There will also be moments where you will feel guilty for committing a sin, where you will feel shame. That's why we have a prayer of confession almost weekly here, is to remind us that we are sinners and to remind us that we are indeed forgiven. What John was writing to these people about is he was saying there are false teachers among you who are teaching you that you can do whatever you wanna do and still be considered a believer. John is saying no. Go and sin no more. Stop practicing sin, but instead practice righteousness. And the only way you're gonna do it is because he's made you righteous and he's gonna help you be righteous. So go and be righteous. The reason Jesus appeared was to take away our sins. But the second reason that Jesus appeared is, verse, nine, or verse eight tells us, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Do you know that sin is our personal enemy, number one? Sin is our internal foe. Do you also know that Satan is our public enemy, number one? He is our public foe. Jesus came not only to to destroy our internal foe and to fight our flesh, right, to help us fight the flesh to take away sin, he also came to destroy our external foe, Satan. He came to destroy the works of the devil and this reminds me of Hebrews chapter two which wrote, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Through the death of Jesus, he might destroy the one who has the power over death and that is the devil. You see that? Jesus came to destroy Satan. He came to destroy the works of Satan. And so no one, verse nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. If you've been born of God, then what should take place? Well, you should fight your sin daily, but also you should seek to destroy the works of Satan. You should seek, just as Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan, to come on and say, Satan, bring it on. I'm ready to fight. Let's go. Because this life we live, Christian, is war. It's not a fun playground. It's war. It's a battlefield. And so what John is saying here is if you are indeed a child of God, then you will no longer wanna just practice sin and live this lifestyle of sin, but you're gonna feel regret, you're gonna feel remorse, you're gonna feel shame, and there's gonna be moments of good and small victories on this side of heaven. So seek to practice practice righteousness. You know, as I was thinking about being born of God, I, I thought about this transformation that takes place. Like, being born again means you're, you're a new person. You've experienced a new change. And all of a sudden, you begin to think differently and your nature's changed among you. That's what it means to, to be born of God, to, to, to be in his seed, his spiritual seed, as, as verse nine is referring to. But it also made me think of when I used to play basketball. There, was, there, were, there were moments I was very aggressive when I would play. And, 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 and full disclosure, um, I'm a sweater and nobody wanted me to guard them because I would just be drenched but I would be all over the person. I was just a defensive machine and I would just be pouring sweat and nobody wanted me around them. But there were times because I was so aggressive that I would end up getting a flagrant foul called on me. And as a believer playing basketball, I would feel bad after I made this flagrant foul because you know what a flagrant foul is, when a guy's going up for a layup and you just knock him and it, and it hurts the guy and he falls and, and you end up getting a, 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 almost a technical foul and if you get one more, you're thrown out of the game. I was never thrown out of the game, thank goodness. But every time I made a flagrant foul, I felt really guilty. And I would go and help the other player up. A lot of times they wouldn't want me to help them up, you know, but I'd go help them up and I would apologize, hey, I'm really sorry, didn't mean to be that aggressive, didn't mean to hit you that hard. There were moments though, when I played, where people would intentionally flagrant foul me or my teammates and they wouldn't care less. They had no remorse for it. They didn't feel guilty at all. In fact, I think some of the coaches even told them to flagrantly foul some of our players. You see the difference? That's what John is saying here. A non-believer, he flagrantly fouls with no remorse, no guilt, no shame, and he just keeps doing it. A believer will flagrantly foul and feel bad about it and say, oops, sometimes they won't, and that's their sin. But most of the time, they'll feel bad about it and say, oh, sorry. That's what John is getting at. And in verse 10 he said, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, but the one who does not love his brother is also not of God. This is where we begin to to, to now turn our gears to verses 11 through 18 because the first section, verse four through 10, John is saying we're dealing with practicing righteousness. Verse 11 through 18, we're now dealing with love. Those are the two factors that reveal children of God from the children of the devil. And so in verse 10, he says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is a great segue into verses 11 through 18. So if you have your Bibles again, let's now read verses 11 through 18 in this section of loving one another. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death unto life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What I find interesting about this section as John talks about love, he, he gives two examples, two people, to distinguish this point. The first example is that of Cain. And the next example is that of Christ. To describe someone who is of the devil, John referred to Cain. And if you go back to Genesis four, you can read about Cain, Cain and Abel. In verse 12, John wrote, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now I want you to notice something. If you go back to verse eight, And if you go to verse 12, you can see the connection that John makes here with Cain and the devil. Verse eight, John said, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verse 12, he said, we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Of the devil, of the evil one. Cain is of the evil one. So where did Cain come from? He came from the evil one. What did Cain do? He murdered his brother. Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's deeds were righteous. If you go back to Genesis four, you can see this, this whole incident where Cain and Abel, they were brothers from the same mother and one was righteous and the other wasn't. Abel came and made a proper sacrifice to God or Cain did not make a proper sacrifice to God. Hebrews 11 is clear here. Hebrews 11 said by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Cain was a farmer, he was a tiller of the ground while Abel was a shepherd, a keeper of the flocks. Cain brought his offerings from the fruit of the ground. Abel brought the very best specimens of his flock as sacrifices, Now, what we know from Hebrews is that Abel brought the right sacrifice, but he had the right motive. He did it by faith. Cain, he brought a sacrifice, but he didn't have the right motive. He didn't have faith. And it may have even been the wrong sacrifice. That's what John was making the point as. He was saying Cain is clearly a child of Satan because he didn't have the right motives. And as Push came to shove. He saw that God blessed Abel and not him for his faithfulness. And Cain was raging with anger, with jealousy, with hatred towards his own brother. And it took even to a point where he murdered and slayed and slaughtered his own brother Abel. How did all this happen? It's because he was a child of Satan. My question this morning is, is, What family do you belong to? Do you belong to the family of God or do you belong to the family of Satan? If you belong to the family of God, the family of Satan will begin to despise you. They will begin to hate you. In verse 13 of chapter three, John wrote, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. They will indeed hate you. You may have even experienced this tension in your own family. You might experience this tension with your circle of friends. You might experience this tension at your work or even in your neighborhood or even at your place of leisure. But eventually, as a believer, you will experience some kind of persecution or even some kind of hatred. That's why John said, believer, don't be surprised when people don't like you and when people hate you. Jesus said these words about it. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What Jesus was saying is, if you follow me, there will be people who won't like that. There will be people who might even despise you and hate you, just as Cain hated his brother Abel. So be ready for that. Not only roll up your sleeves and be ready to engage in spiritual warfare against Satan, but also know that you are going to be attacked even from non-believers because they will hate you for doing what is right. Verse 14, John went on to say, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What John was getting at is, again, he's describing Cain and the children of Satan and how they hate others and how it'll even lead to a point of murder. Now, you as a non-believer, you may not murder somebody physically, but you can murder them within your heart by thinking ill of them, by wishing they were dead, by wishing they were hurt, by flagrantly fouling them. That's what John is getting at here. He's saying there are nonbelievers who will intentionally hurt you, whether by their deeds or by their, by their thoughts. But I want you to see something really special here. And that is, John first talked about Cain being a child of Satan. And then he referred to Christ being the son of God and how we are to aspire to be like Christ. First John 3.16 is one of the best verses in this letter. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I didn't notice this until this week. But most of you know John 3:16. It's the bread and butter passage of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Notice the connection between John 3:16 and 1 John 3:16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Love, John uses the word love over and over and over again in this letter. Do You know what the Greek word love here is? It's agape, which means unconditional love. It means giving up your life for the sake of others. That's what a believer does. They love others even to the point of risking their lives for them. That's what true love is, and that's what Jesus did for us. That's the example for us as God's children. This week was quite a week for all of us. It's probably a week that we're gonna remember for a long, long time. Some good things about the week, beautiful, right? The snow can be beautiful, but it can also be really annoying if you can't get places. You know, I I kid you not, on Monday, we were celebrating my wife's birthday in Gatlinburg, and we saw the snow, we stayed there Sunday night, we're there most of the day, Monday, and we were watching the snow fall and it wasn't sticking to the ground and we thought, oh, this is great. We almost went to the aquarium after we were at Ober all day, but I'm glad that we ended up getting wet because it was wet snow in Gatlinburg. My sister even sent me a message, hey, this is what it looks like in Knoxville. I didn't see the message, I just kept going about my day. I'm really glad that we ended up leaving when we did Because we left about three, four o'clock in Gatlinburg. As I drive through Gatlinburg, I see the interstate, and I thought, what did we do? (laughs) I get on the interstate, and it takes us two and a half hours to get home from exit 407 to Campbell Station. Two and a half hours. It usually takes, what, 45 minutes an hour? Because I'm going 15 to 20 miles an hour. I'm having to go from lane to lane trying to navigate this tumultuous storm, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, I don't have four-wheel drive in this truck. This, is, this could be a problem. The whole time, my wife's sleeping, my kids are in the back sleeping, and I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, just get us home. <laughs> I trust that you could get us home, and I don't know what I was thinking, but please just get us home. After sliding around off the exit, and after sliding on Campbell Station, and on Kingston Pike, and through our neighborhood, we just reached the bottom of our hill at our home, and I just parked and said, I'm not even going to attempt to go up this driveway. We made it home. It was God's providence through the storm. I thought about this example, and as we were going through this hard week, it was hard for a lot of us, probably all of us, we were just rummaging through our movie selections of Disney+. Plus. And we came across a movie I had never heard of called The Finest Hours. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It's a story about a Coast Guard group. And it was in the 1950s. And there was this massive oil tanker ship that was going through this horrible storm, raging seas and waves that were up to 60 to 70 feet tall outside of Cape Cod, outside of Massachusetts. And this oil tanker, the Pennsylvania, it was cut in two and it ended up killing seven people immediately because the people that were on the bow of the ship, they sunk immediately, killing seven of them. But it left 33 survivors on this oil tanker and they were slowly sinking. They had about four hours to live. Well, it was such a bad storm that evening, in February of 1952, that it took several minutes for the Coast Guard to to know and to be alerted about this group, this ship. Well, it turns out that there were a few Coast Guardmen on duty. And there was this captain who went over to this young Coast Guardsman and he said, all right, I want you to get your crew, you pick your crew, and I want you to go on this rescue mission. Well, this, this man, Bernie Weber, he knew that this was a suicide mission because the waves were 60 to 70 feet tall, and, and he ends up saying, you know what? I've been given this order. I'm gonna go and try to risk my life to try to save these people. So he ended up getting three people that reluctantly said, I'll go with you. And they, they got on this small motorboat, this lifeboat boat called the CG36500. It could hold up to 12 survivors. Well, they ended up going and They knew that this time it was described as a collection of ever-shifting shoals with flood currents carrying ocean waves that can splinter small boats in a matter of seconds just in normal weather. Cape Cod, where they were, it was often referred to as the graveyard of the Atlantic and had seen some 3,000 shipwrecks over several centuries. Bernie Weber was in his mid-20s and he said, I've been given an order, I've gotta go do this, but I know I'm gonna die. In fact, he said, this is a suicide mission, but we're gonna go and we're gonna ask the Lord to help us. You wouldn't believe it, but as they went, they ended up losing their compass, they ended up losing their radio signal, and they ended up having their windshield shattered. So glass was everywhere. They ended up going underneath the waves several times and were able to survive out of it. But as they were going through the storm, do you know the song they sang? They sang Rock of Ages, just to calm their nerves. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Lord, let me hide myself in you as I'm going through this storm. And as they were singing this song, and as they were showing this great courage, God got them through those tumultuous waves. And they ended up somehow finding this sinking vessel. And when they got there, they saw not 12 survivors that they could fit on this small lifeboat, they saw 33. And they said, "Uh uh-oh, we got a problem. (laughs) What are we gonna do? So these 33 survivors end up going down the ladder and they're jumping on this lifeboat, not knowing that they could only have 12. One of Weber's crewmates said, Bernie, we need to go back and take 12 with us and, and come back and get the rest. And Bernie said, this is what he said, He said, we're all going to live tonight or we are all going to die. But we will live or we will die together. 32 out of 33 of those survivors made it. One of them fell off the ladder, ended up getting hit by a wave, hit the vessel, and got knocked out and and sunk. But 32 of them ended up getting on this small motorboat. Water started flooding in the motorboat slowly but they journeyed back home without a compass, without a radio signal, and they made it. Towards the, after that, the four crewmen, they ended up getting the gold life-saving medal, and Bernie Weber, he, he said, I will not receive this medal until the other three crew members receive it, because they're just as deserving as me. And at the end of his life, a lot of people don't know this, Bernie Weber was the son of a pastor. His dad wanted him to be a pastor. And he said, Dad, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm called to go in the military. And I'm so glad he followed his calling in the military. Because this was known as the greatest small boat rescue mission of all time that the Coast Guard has ever seen. And at the end of his life, he died a few years ago, he said, divine providence brought him and the others back alive. It was divine providence that brought them back alive. It was divine providence that brought me and my family alive through this snowstorm. It was divine providence that brought these men alive that day. I give you this example, powerful example, because Bernie Weber, he risked his life for the sake of others. He revealed to a watching world that he was indeed a child of God, because not only did he practice righteousness and he obeyed an order and he went with it knowing that it could kill him, he also was willing to give up his life for the sake of others, true love. Are you willing to risk your life for the sake of others? And it may not be where you have to literally risk your life for someone, but how can you show love to others this week? We've been given a golden opportunity to be in the finest hour. And that is, we can reach out to those who are still cooped up in their homes today, that can't get out of their house and and journey through their driveway or their neighborhood. Please reach out to someone today and ask them, how can I help you? Are you running out of food? Are you running out of groceries? How are you doing? How can we help? There are people in our congregation that are still at home that need help. So please, practice righteousness and show them love by reaching out to them today. John finished this section, verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Believers in Christ, let's love others in deed and in truth. And so please, reach out to someone today and this week as we continue to journey through these uncharted waters.